tuned into the one and the only A Difference in Thought. Uh, this is episode number five, Black Careers Matter, The Cement Ceiling and the Civil Rights Act of 1991. Uh, here at A Difference in Thought, A Difference in Thought engages in processes, recent events, culture, philosophy, public policy, and faith through the ancient art of truth-telling. Join the conversation and gain an alternative perspective with a difference in thought. And of course, this podcast is an honor and homage of the work and mission of the great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Our uh, main philosophy here is that basic arithmetic teaches us that there can be no difference without subtraction. Before considering where you would like to see a difference, consider where you are willing to take a subtraction. So this is episode number five, Black Careers Matter, The Cement Ceiling, and the Civil Rights Act of 1991. Now, most of you who are familiar with this uh, principle of the, uh, you've heard of the glass ceiling, right? Um, I know Hillary Clinton, when she was running, she talked about the glass ceiling that women um, have in um, corporate America and at a lot of places. And so she talks about shattering the glass ceiling. Well, I want to speak today about a different type of ceiling that isn't quite as easy to shatter as a glass ceiling. I was uh, speaking with a colleague at my job. For those who do not know, um, I am looking to form a African-American network at my job. And uh, I've been blessed to have a great ally there who is actually going to get into uh recruiting and, and, and making diversity goals uh, to make sure that it, it's actually a, a diverse, uh, the, the people that hold power at the company actually are uh, diverse. And so that's been a blessing. So I was in their office and uh, they were speaking about, uh, you know, uh, they just started a women's network and they were talking about uh, the glass ceiling. And I said, well, Um, of course the glass ceiling is real, but when you talk about African-Americans, it's more so a cement ceiling. And what I mean by the cement ceiling is that there is a definite line. Uh, Typically, it is above support roles. So um, if you're working at corporate America and you're in the mailroom or you're uh, supporting other people, the whole goal of your role is to support another person, but 
Um, you typically can get into those roles, but once you get above the level of support where you actually have some skin in the game and decision making and planning where the future is and any real um, uh, 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 career, right? Uh, typically, that's where the cutoff is for African American associates, uh, and of course, uh, that's even a, a harder semen ceiling for um, uh, African American women. Uh, and what you'll see also is the thing about uh, glass is that if you jump through glass, it's probably going to break. <laughs> you jump through cement. <laughs> Uh, not only did you not make it through, but now you are in a worse situation for trying to get out of it. And you normally face some type of retaliation or some type of, some type of uh, harsh treatment. Uh, and also uh, a glass ceiling, you can at least look through it and see that the people on top of it look like you. But in the semen ceiling, you don't really get to see yourself represented above that because it's not as, as, as translucent as, 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 as glass is. And so we're using this analogy of the semen ceiling. And, and again, this is not, uh, again, I'm not trying to start the suffering Olympics where it's like, we get a golden suffering and women get a, <laughs> get a silver in, in suffering, something like that. I'm just talking about there is a certain bias that is heavier on on non-white people. When we talked about uh, in, uh, I believe it was two episodes ago, when we talk about the racial caste system of America. Uh, now, there is a patriarchal system as well, uh, but there is also a, a very strong racial caste system. And so we're talking about people that fall under that and uh, saying that their careers matter. And so I was talking to another friend who, I, who I'm recruiting for this task force. And so we were... Uh, uh, kind of, she kind of was talking about frustration in her career. And I said, Hey, I'm going to tell you something that I've noticed. Um, uh, and I want to share it with you. And if it resonates with you, you just let me know. And so I was letting her know, uh, in corporate America, white people get careers, black people get jobs. All right. Now I know some of y'all saying, Oh, you don't calm down. Wait a minute. Let's put that fragility. <laughs> Calm down a little bit and listen to what I'm saying. White people get careers, black people get jobs. And what I'm talking about is people may advance, but the method of their advancement is very different. Where white people may get promotions more, black people have to move around uh, uh, more. So uh, they may move uh Sl slowly sloping up. Think of a graph chart, right? Where it's lower on the left and it's higher as it goes to the right. But each of those are sometimes lateral moves or or moving into other departments where white people might actually have a clear trajectory. If you do this, you do this in three years and five years, you can get here, right? Where more so African-Americans, because bias is very real in corporate America, uh, more so we have to kind of move around and see number one, who actually believes black people can perform beyond a support level? Uh, is there an opening? And, you know, um, uh, uh, are any procedures going to be put in place that will hinder me that change the terms that I accepted when I first got there? And we'll talk about a lot of those things uh, later in what I like to call the underground fail road. Now, um, uh, that's a little plug for you guys to stay tuned in later. Uh so when we're talking about white people uh, get careers, black people get jobs, you see that a lot of times uh, black people that are in jobs will say, 
uh, like this and the person I was talking to said, yeah, it relates to me a lot, man. I see a lot of, you know, white people getting promoted. You know, they've been here two years, three years. The only black person I know that's been promoted has been here 13, 17 years. Right. Uh, and so uh, just noticing this cement ceiling. Um, so I want to I want to share a, a, a study that I read that kind of shows how bias is still very much uh, alive in corporate America. Uh there was someone who was doing a study uh, and it, they were originally just saying the effects of drug tests. Right. And they kind of went in thinking, you know, people just use drug tests to, you know, scare uh, maybe my minority people away who they think are using drugs or different things like that. So they conduct this study. And what they actually found was pretty interesting. What they found was that when they're in scenarios where there was not a drug test, white women were getting hired uh, at higher rates than uh, black men were uh, in places where they weren't doing drug tests. In places where they were doing drug tests, they found that more black men got hired over white women because the assumption was, uh, well, black men are using drugs, right? It was this bias that black men are in some type of criminal activity and uh, I don't want to take a risk, so I'll just choose the safe white woman, right? Um, despite, you know, um, <laughs> the NERD song, Everybody Knows. Okay, if you don't know that, then that's not for you. Uh, but anyways, what they found out was that people without the drug test just assumed by bias that, oh, uh, these uh, black people are more deviant and they're probably in drugs, so we'll hire uh, the white one more. But when they were able to actually do the drug test, it actually dispelled their preconceived notions and thought, oh, hmm, oh, he's not on drugs. Maybe, maybe he's all right. Guy. And so they hired these people uh, more over. And so when you're talking about uh, bias and, again, the criminalized presence of, of minorities that we talk about in the episode of uh, the divisive origins of whiteness, the, uh, America's racial caste system, you see uh, this um, almost demonization of the other um, and mostly non-white people, and how just because you suddenly got a job doesn't mean that all those preconceived notions get dispelled. I was at a, I was at a, um, I was at an event that was talking about diversity in the workplace, and so they mostly were kind of talking about, uh, you know, women, and uh, which is which is important. And so I, uh, they said other questions from the audience, and so I raised my hand. And, I mean, and y'all know me, so I just talked about. What are some ways that you can become more aware of preconceived notions that may prevent you from actually hiring and training people uh, uh, from minority communities? And the moderator looked at me like oh, she was she was a white lady. She, she looked at me like I just ruined her day. She 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 looked at me like I told her that I I think OJ is innocent, right? <laughs> she. You know, because obviously they didn't want to go into that avenue of talking about how bias is very much real and who and and plays a part in who gets recruited and and who who uh, gets opportunity in um, in corporate America. But that's a conversation that we need to have. I know that people say Black Lives Matter, which is true, but also Black careers matter, right? Um, uh, I've seen a lot of uh, 
times in my times in, in corporate America where in times of transition, and this is this is all history if you guys know, Great Depression, uh, there was the uh, last to hire, first to fire, where uh, when times are rough, uh, it is this almost notion that it's okay or black people's careers are more disposable and more acceptable to take them off the trajectory of the career than it is, uh, than it is a white person. Uh, and so you, 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 you get into this, uh, cement ceiling, right? Where you can come, but it's at a certain level and you can work on our terms, but there is not this real sense of, uh, equality. And so, I, uh, I I always explain it like this when we talk about uh, racism. I say there are tiers of racism, just like there's cancer, like just like there's there's benign or there's stage one or there's stage two or there's terminal. Like there's there's different levels of racism, right? And so there's like your and I've talked about this a little bit with white supremacy versus white supremacy 2.0. And so you kind of have this um, racism where it's. Uh, you know, your worst races, which are, you know, if I see them, I'm going to do harm to them. I'm going to call them names. I'm going to, you know, uh, X, Y, Z. I don't even want to be in the same room as them. Don't bring them home, you know, type of situation. Uh, and that's like your, your terminal racism, right? Uh, and then there's your, there's your uh, racism that, oh, they can be in the same room as me, but they can't be on the same level as me, right? Um, and so it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll invite them in the room, but as long as they're singing, as long as they're dancing, as long as they're getting my coffee, as long as they're, you know, I'm the one in charge and I'm supervising them, then that's fine, right? Uh, and then there's the level of, oh, I'm cool with them. They can be the same level as me. We can be equal. That's cool. But I'm not going to report to, <laughs> right? I'm not going to report to a minority, right? Uh, and that's when... Uh, America lost their mind when Obama became president, right? Um, because people saying, oh, it's post-racial society saying like, oh, I'm cool we're, I, if we're on the same level. But no, no, no. What happens when you have to call the minority Mr. President and all those other things? And that's when all that craziness uh, came out. And then there's the final frontier where it's, hey, they can be my boss. They can be in the same room as me. I won't hurt them. I won't do different things like that. And then there's the, but don't bring them home. <laughs> Right. I don't want them to be in my family. Right. And then that's when you get into the whole area of interracial dating. And I didn't know my parents were uh, low key racist till I brought somebody who wasn't <laughs> way home. Or, you know, uh, so those are like the levels of, of racism. So you see this in, in corporate America where everything is cool as long as you are in a supportive role. Right. Uh, and it might even get shaky if you're in an equal role. But then all hell breaks loose when. <laughs> You're in a managing role, right? Uh, and 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 seeing uh, some of the few black managers I've seen uh, eventually ended up being demoted through transitions and heavy air quotes, right? Um, uh, and then replaced by white uh, managers, right? Because again, it's that semen ceiling of hey, you're not supposed to make it past this level, and then creating all these different adverse conditions, and so. Um, I'm going to transition now into talking about uh, an unknown, a mostly high, I think a highly unknown Civil Rights Act, which was the Civil Rights Act of 1991. Now, I'm going to give you some background uh, to uh, what all of these, uh, what all of these acts mean. And I also want to uh, kind of uh, get 
uh, organize the conversation around different types of discrimination. So we have um, uh, we have something called dis- disparate impact, right? Which pretty much when you think about like um, uh, like disparity and different things like that, right? Um, it pretty much is an employer's facially neutral practice that has a discriminatory effect, right? And so we talked about this, uh, I think, in episode two, we were talking about polite repression and saying, is it actually better or is it the same impact, but just more polite? Uh, and uh, then you actually have disparate treatment uh where that it uh, alleges that an employee was treated worse than others based on protected characteristics. So that's uh, uh, sex, race, religion, nation of origin, uh, those uh, types of things where it's talking about uh, it, it wasn't just impact, uh, it was intent. Um, and it was it was due to me being a member of this uh, protected class. And then you also have, Adverse employment action, which really gets into uh, your whole retaliation, and that's the aspect of the semen ceiling where uh, you were, were trying to create an environment where that discourages jumping. <laughs> you're down there, and you're going to stay down there, and if you try to, uh, you, your head's going to be hurting, and you're going to have to rethink about uh, trying that again. Uh, and so you, uh, the reason I give all these different things is because we're going to kind of talk about uh, what kind of did the Civil Rights Act of 1991 do? Uh, what was it in response to? Kind of what was the legal history of uh, of those uh, different acts? Um, and so, uh, so before we talk about the Civil Rights Act of 1991, what the Civil Rights Act of 1991 did, it restored precedence in a Supreme Court case, uh, Griggs versus Duke Power Company, uh, that was argued in 1970, um, because two cases after it. Uh, kind of had a interesting ruling that kind of undermined the decision that was made there. So, uh, so the year is nineteen seventy to nineteen seventy one. So you have uh, it's a Duke Power Company was a power uh, company. Uh, you can think of it as like uh, Dominion Power or uh, BGE or you know it's, it's an electric company uh, and. Uh, in the 1950s, uh, the, the, the plant's policy was that blacks were only allowed to work in the labor department, uh, which pretty much was the lowest paying position in the company. In fact, the highest paying position in the labor department uh, uh, still was lower than the lowest paying department that uh, whites were assigned to. So so this this was straight up. Uh, disparate impact, uh, uh, sorry, treatment, right? Because in 1950, it's like, you know, before all the protections are, it's like, hey, you know, uh, hey, blacks can't work. You can only work in the labor department. You can't work in those other ones. Very blatant, impolite, just blatant, just out there, right? Um, or some say not not PC, right? Uh, hey, you blacks can't work here, <laughs> right? Because the, the, the best opportunities we're going to reserve for white people, right? Uh, and then after... Uh, 54, and you know, after 54 uh, was uh, Brown versus Board of Education, which kind of 
started to chip away of the whole Plessy versus Ferguson separate but equal type of thing. And so as they see that the uh, winds are changing against the more overt racism, instead of instead of uh, instead of uh, just being as blatant as they were in 1950, 1955, the company then just says, well, there's now a requirement where if you're going to have a higher paying position, uh, we're not going to say blacks can't have it. We're just going to say uh, you need to have a high school diploma in order to do it. Now, important things to keep in mind here, there were people who, there were white people in these positions who didn't even have high school diplomas. And, uh, were, were trained without high school diplomas. They were functioning at that area. And so it really wasn't, it really wasn't in an actual, <laughs> it wasn't an actual uh, benefit to the business because people were already doing the job well without it because you have to also have to know um, uh, that in uh, the Carolinas, there were already a case that showed uh, that due to the inequity in the school systems, uh, there were more uh, white graduates than there were uh, black graduates in that area. And so it disproportionately gave an, an advantage to white associates in there. So it, it was pretty much segregation under another name. And this is where you get this disparate impact where it, it's, it's appears at the face to be, to be equal, it's like, hey, well, just everybody who has a high school diploma can can come and get it. Uh, but really, in its impact, it is discriminatory. And here's here's the, the main thing to know about this. The importance of uh, Griggs versus the Duke Power Company was that the argument was, um, you know what? We're not we're not really making employees prove intense. We're just making them prove impact. So it's not that I'm going to. Uh, Snoop around and count how many of my supervise, how many black friends do I supervise? That like, it's like, hey, we don't, we don't, we, we're not concerned about the intent. Uh, we're concerned about the impact. Uh, it, it reminds me of um, uh, a Stokely Carmichael quote, who says, "If a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. If the white, if a white man has the power to lynch me." <laughs> as in the legal protection to do so, then that's my problem, right? Because he's, he's pretty much talking about like, I'm not worried about your intent. I'm worried about what you what you actually are able to impact uh, uh, on me doing. And so um, the court ultimately rules in, in favor, in favor of uh, uh, Griggs and in saying that, and this was kind of the basis of this a discriminatory um, this this uh, disparate impact, uh, and so uh, chief uh, the chief justice Berger, uh, yeah yes Berger, <laughs> uh, he says um, uh, they they ruled that the company's employment requirements did not pertain to applicants' ability to perform the job. So again, it was just kind of this 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 farce uh, to to because it would create this uh, disproportionate advantage for white em uh, employees. Uh, and, and said so, and so they were discriminating against black employ employees. Um, and here's this interesting quote that he says. So he says, um, "Congress has now provided that tests or criteria for employment or promotion may not provide equality of opportunity merely in the sense of the fabled offer of milk to the stork and the fox." Now, some of you are kind of saying, "What in the world is this stork and this fox story?" Right? So actually, it is uh, one of Aesop's fables. 
And so he's kind of pretty much saying like optics aren't enough, right? Um, which we are learning more and more every day if you're actually watching Ben Carson. Ben Carson, you know, though he's black, right? <laughs> and his optic and saying, you know, and he speaks a nice, you know, hey, be nice to people. And, you know, he's like Black Barney or something. Uh, he actually just removed uh, anti-discrimination lingo from the Housing and Urban Development's website. So now it says, instead of saying without, uh, can enjoy equal and fair housing uh, without uh, worry of discrimination, it just says, you have to become self-sufficient, right? And so it's these these optics, right? It's like, you know, like, oh man, they'll never guess a black guy will make it less <laughs> less equal and fair. But anyways, back to uh, the stork and the fox. So it's an Aesop's fable where uh, a stork and a fox, and so uh, a fox invites a stork over uh, for dinner, right? And uh, instead of, but he's he's not really being generous because he serves his food in a, in a type of bowl that, uh, the stork can't eat out of because of the shape of its beak. And so uh, the, the fox seems to be um, seems to be being generous, but really he's he's just the, the impact of the bowl that he serves is as if he never invited the stork over either, because at the end of the day, the stork's still hungry. Right. Um, so then the stork invites him over uh, and he present he offers uh the food in something so narrow that only his beak can come through and the fox isn't able to eat and so it's like so essentially justice burger is saying that uh it's got to be deeper than words it's got to be deeper than optics it has to actually be true opportunity and true equality uh and it doesn't matter what you know they call it or what their intent is you have to look at the actual impact of what it's doing and if these guidelines that suddenly appear actually don't have to do with are not actually related to job performance and are and uh even especially if you already have people on the uh you know like non-white people um who are already doing the job without these requirements but we're just slapping on for for people it's it's a way of maintaining that cement ceiling of saying you stay there and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna move uh kind of here and so that was the impact of this Griggs versus Duke Power Company uh, 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 case that you kind of see. And so what, I want to talk more about this whole uh, stork and the fox optics that we're talking about, because we talk about uh, polite repression, right? How it's how and white supremacy 2.0, where it's like, oh, I'm not super, you know, I'm not. I'm, and as Dr. King was saying, we have to change whites of our idea of of racism and oppression and white supremacy from these super violent acts to to actually um uh how power is distributed how wealth is distributed and uh Whitney Young actually talks about this too in his book uh To Be Equal which again is out of print um but I was I had to pay a whole bunch of money to get it on eBay but <laughs> uh which is out of print and he talks about uh these changing narrative around advancement of black people and so he says uh they used to say black people are uh are 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 evil or black people are, are dirty or they used to say black people are dumb so we won't let them into the school and then it's well the neighborhoods aren't safe and then they say well is it good for a black child to be in an all-white school and he says look you can change the narrative you can change the intent but at the end of it the impact is the same the black person is not in the school. The black person is not in this job. The black person does not have this opportunity and white people do. 
So his whole thing, his whole focus was, look, don't get lost into the narrative, right? Let's look at the impact. And so you see this, uh, um, some of you may be familiar with this, but uh, Lee Atwater was uh, uh, kind of ran political campaigns. And I believe he ran the political campaign for Reagan, um, uh, either Reagan or Nixon, I can't remember. But uh, he has this infamous interview where he's revealing the Southern strategy, as they call it, which is pretty much disparate impact in politics, where they, where they say it, it, it's this nice thing, but it's actually... Uh, something that's going to have a, a, a disparate impact on minorities. And so, uh, and this uh, warning, this is explicit language, I'm, I'm, this is a direct quote, so don't think that I lost my mind, okay? This is what Lee Atwater says in this interview. He's talking about uh, the Southern strategy and how he he changed the, the narrative around uh, the impact he wanted to create. So he says, uh, you start out in 1954 by saying, uh, nigger, 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 by 1968, you can't say nigger, that hurts you, backfires. So you say stuff like uh, forced busing, states' rights, and all that stuff, and you're getting so abstract. Now you're talking about cutting taxes, and all these things you're talking about are totally economic things, and a byproduct of them is blacks get hurt worse than whites. We want to cut this is much more abstract than, than even the busing thing, uh, and a hell of a lot more abstract than nigger nigger. So what <laughs> what Lee Atwater was saying is when he was running this campaign to get these people elected, is he was saying uh, he was saying, uh, hey, uh, we can't be out. Uh, you know, it's not cool to, to show your intents fly. So let's let's make our intent look better, but still have the same impact. And so what he was saying is pretty much saying that we got to move from disparate treatment to uh, disparate uh, impact so that it looks more polite, but you eventually are getting the same effects. Um, and so uh, and this was a, something that uh, pretty was interesting. I was listening to an NPR art, uh, uh, podcast. I think it was Code Switch. And there's um, it's I think it's called using the R word, which pretty much is racist. And so it, it was during the campaign and they were saying, do you regret not calling Trump racist? And what are the pro procedures for calling Trump racist? And um, uh, and there was this whole beef of, you know, you called Farrakhan racist, but you didn't call Trump racist and, you know, all these different things. And so one of the I guess he's he's an expert on 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 the R word, I guess, on racism. But um, he pretty much was saying that there there has been a shift that is not helpful where now people so you call someone racist and you are more concerned about their intent than the impact that it actually has. And so then racism becomes about the person performing the act instead of the impact that their actions have had. And so the danger of making racism about intent is that you can say, well, that wasn't my intent. And then you think, oh, okay, well, cool. He's not racist. Well, whether it was intent or not, we have to remember the true people who are absorbing the impact of his actions. I don't care about his, his intent. It's about it's about the, the impact of that. So this is Griggs versus Duke Power Company. And so this is this is um, what Justice Berg was pretty much saying. He's saying like, man, it has to be true, equal opportunity, not just this guise or this um, whatever this 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 way of thinking. Um, and so fast forward in time now and we have uh, another case which kind of counteracts 
the precedent that was set in the Dukes versus Griggs case. And this is all the way in 1989, right? Um, so in 1989, um, this is in uh, Alaska, by the way. So it's it is it is a it's a it's a it's a cannery place uh, that's mostly in Alaska. And important things to note: uh, a group of non-white cannery workers and non-white they they are actually indigenous Alaskan people and Filipino people who I uh, also like kind of. Um, uh, found their way up there and, and were um, having relations with Native Alaskans. So they call Alaskaros or whatever. So uh, we're, we're talking about Filipinos. We're talking about uh, uh, indigenous Alaskans. Um, and so uh, they present a case that were saying, hey, a lot of the non-white cannery workers, which are kind of the, the worst, the low bottom of the pole things, uh, are just non-white <laughs> Workers and they're not hiring for uh, white for non-white workers above this level, right? Above this level, it's 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 all white. And but here's something to keep in mind: um, two uh, two thirds of the company w- were uh, so the majority of the company were were uh, indigenous Alaskans, Native Alaskans, and and Filipinos. But when you got to who got to be at the top, it ended up being all white people, right? And so they present their case. So essentially, they present their case uh, uh, to a uh, to a district. Uh, so so the go to a district court, and the district court is is in favor of the company. So then they appeal it uh, in the Ninth Circuit, and the district court, using the precedent set by. Uh, Dukes versus the Griggs company says, yeah, well, yeah, this is definitely um, this is definitely uh, a disparate impact in the policies that they have because where they're hiring and where they're recruiting uh, is not um, is 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 going to end up in a disproportionate favor for uh, white associates, even though they're the minority of the company. Uh, so then the court, the court then uh, so then the company appeals to the Supreme Court. And so then it makes it to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court rules and essentially says, um, and essentially says, well, um, this isn't uh, a fair uh, presentation of data. We we don't agree with the statistics that the um, uh Alaska, the native Alaskans and the Filipinos have, have, have brought, they shouldn't have measured it by the people that are at the company, but by the entire pool of who they could pull from. I mean, look, look at, look at where, uh, these people are recruiting. Of course, they're going to have more white people. It's, it's, again, they go back to saying it was not their intent. So they're now trying to keep distracted from impact and say the intent. And so it wasn't their intent. It's just that, you know, look at where they recruit and look how it is. And, you know, that's just that's just the way that it is. And of course, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing this because I can't <laughs> in a limited amount of time. I can't go through what uh, what all of this means. Um, and so they, they they said, well, you presented the wrong statistics. And so then they rule in favor of the company, which then uh, puts a higher burden of proof on not the employer to prove because again Griggs Griggs puts the burden of proof on the employer to show that oh we're not discriminating we are uh this is based on a business decision right and not discrimination but now it's now the 
employee has to show <laughs> has to show uh, the right statistics, or it's 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 now on them. And so, uh, uh, Justice Stevens and Blackman, uh, uh, Justice Blackman, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> and Randall Blackman, no, <laughs> and Justice Blackman um, create a dissent, uh, write a dissenting opinion to this, and they're joined by my man Thurgood Marshall. Uh, who was a justice at that uh, justice at that time? Um, and this is in '89. I think he was he 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 ended up uh, he wasn't a justice after '91, but you know Justice Marshall is on this as well. And remember all the things that he's had with uh, Pleasant versus Ferguson and being Mister Civil Rights and seeing all these things. So he joins this dissent. Um, uh, and uh, and the dissent is pretty much saying that the intent doesn't matter if the impact is discriminatory. And again, they have failed to show how not hiring these people is due to a business decision, especially since two thirds of the company, right. Is, 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 is actually there. Um, uh, and to simply state that the statistics of who gets promoted and who doesn't isn't enough to disregard what the stats show the higher in where white people only make a th- one third of this company uh, yet they 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 make <laughs> all of the people over this over this type of um, on the higher position. Everyone at the lower positions um, doesn't 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 do that. And they also don't question how the white people became fully qualified. Right? They say these people aren't qualified. Well, how are the white people fully qualified? They that wasn't even brought up. Right? And so then they say, well, it's a, it's about the available supply of workers that we have. And so uh, I really, I really like this. I think this was in Blackman's dissent, and he says, "If a uh, well, he, he essentially is saying if a company is so desperate for diversity as they, uh, as they, you know, state that they are, why not count their non-white workers as a pool of available supply of workers?" Right? They're saying, "Well, we just can't find them." It's like, why aren't you even looking <laughs> for the two thirds of your company who already know the system, already know the company, already know the culture, wouldn't they be the perfect candidate? But what they would do is they would only recruit outside of the company for these higher for these higher positions and they would not promote into it, right? And so this is what I'm talking about the cement ceiling. They're not they're not giving people a vertical <laughs> chance to come up, right? Uh, but they are going outside of the company to find the people that they want to find and then just say, "Well, you know, the pools that we were using it's 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 not going to work right and I, and this is this is a very important thing that I want to want to speak about um I was speaking to to someone um who really had a you know a really great intent and really wanted to hire and diversify his staff but he was saying like well with the pools that we use when we do our recruits we only come back with uh white males right and so I was saying hey hey brother you're responsible for your pool if your pool is not diverse enough for you to find candidates uh, of, 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 of color, then your pool isn't diverse enough. You need to diversify your pool. You need to change where you're recruiting, where you're, where you're finding, where you're mining for talent. Um, uh, because if, if your pool always draws up all white, that says something about your pool. And, And this pool isn't this unchangeable thing. Like it's very malleable if you're willing to invite more people in it and to expand, uh, your search. Um, and so, uh, that's that's one of the semen ceilings too, where you say, well, you know, well, where we're we recruiting. So, where are you recruiting? Are you recruiting 
to to actually make it diverse, or is this just again a stork and a fox thing? And your method of of actually having impact is your recruiting pool, right? Um, and so then, so then the Supreme Court rules in favor of the company. That was the dissent. And so uh, after reading uh, the dissents and seeing that this is going to pretty much override the Duke versus Griggs. Uh, decision by the Supreme Court, um, Congress comes out with the Civil Rights Act uh, of 1991. Now, here's an interesting fact, and this was signed by George Bush, but here's an interesting fact, and this is just a little sidebar before. Before the Civil Rights Act of 1991 was the Civil Rights Act of 1990, uh, and it was presented by Ted Kennedy uh, and a gentleman from California and it was on the NAACP's number one legislation to pass because they knew about the cement ceiling in black America. Um, riding on the uh, uh, tales of the National Urban League and a lot of the movement that Whitney Young was doing and getting all these people into these jobs, they were finding that that bias was still there and that, and that uh, white preference was still there and the cement ceiling was real. So they wanted to actually not just have affirmative action, but to actually... Um, it pretty much was forcing companies to create an incentive of diversity. We're uh, saying like, we need a certain amount of like pretty much changing where you recruit and where you have, you're going to be held accountable for how diverse your staff is, right? Because you, you, you know about um, the generational effects of segregation and uh, bad education systems and all the other things. The only real way to correct that um, is somehow like some type of like quote. And so depending on how you feel about that, you might be saying, oh, heck yeah. Some of y'all might be laughing, but here's the thing. It actually passed Congress. Uh, And it made it to George Bush's desk, the first Bush, right? Herbert Walker. Uh, And George Bush says, oh, well, it might be enough pressure. I think, here he goes. Right. I think, I think, uh, the propositions in the bill will encourage companies enough to where they won't even need quotas. It's like, daggone it, Herbert. <laughs> what world are you living in? It's been a problem before. Why do you think said people are suddenly going to get tired of reaping unjust profit? So he vetoes the bill. Goes back to Congress. Uh, Congress votes to override the veto. It loses by one vote. So people, when you say... Elections besides a president don't count. Understand, there could have been quotas for diversity had it not been for just one vote. Okay? Just keep that in mind. So, they're not able to get that because they don't like the quotas. So, they pretty much represent it without the quotas. And you get the Civil Rights Act of 1991. The Civil Rights Act of 1991 restores uh, the... uh, uh, wording of disparate impact that the um that Griggs versus uh Duke Power Company had where it pretty much is talking about uh if the impact if there's a disparate impact and it cannot be explained uh and it cannot be explained by you know and the company can't explain that oh for some business reason you know um that's actually legit right then that is, in a, that is a, uh, an illegal move, right? Um, 
And so that that then restores this. And so my whole question is, um, why in the world isn't this taught more in schools, right? <laughs> and I mean, you guys have heard my philosophy how people act like the Civil Rights Act, a civil rights movement ended after 65. And then you don't get to learn about the Poor People's Campaign. Uh, you don't get to hear about Whitney Young. Uh, heck, his books are out of print, <laughs> right? Uh, and and you definitely don't get to hear about the Civil Rights Act of 1991, and you definitely don't hear about the Civil Rights Act of 1990, right? And so how people, you know, you, when you bring these things up today, people act like it's laughable, but it was almost law had it not been for one vote and Herbert Walker Bush, <laughs> right? So uh, it's not as crazy as people make it to seem. And so the semen ceiling is real. And so I want to encourage people who, uh, you know, African-Americans in corporate America or, or, or non-whites in corporate America, uh, that pressure you feel when you look at an organizational chart and above the support level, it's all white or it's all male. <laughs> uh, uh, that is a real thing, right? It has a legal history in this country. Uh, it, it became, again, like in 1990, it was the number one legislative priority of the NAACP, right? And again, uh, but but when we think about the NAACP, what do we normally think of? We think of, um, we think of like the, the Trayvon Martin cases and, and the Michael Brown cases and all these, all these other things. But it's just saying like bias is not just in these, like Dr. King says, uh, racism is not just dwelling in these super violent actions towards black bodies. It is also in the uh, sabotaging actions of black careers, right? I want to say this again. Racism is not just violent acts against black bodies. It is also sabotaging effects of black careers. And that's what the cement ceiling is about. Uh, or as I like to call the underground fail road, right? Now, when you talk about Harriet Tubman, she was bringing people who were enslaved, secretly bringing them to freedom. Now, when we talk about, again, the stork and the fox and, 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 and optics of equality, the underground fail road is corporate America's, white corporate America's way of <laughs> taking black, keeping black people under, taking them from, you know, they paint it as a, oh, this is a free, uh, equal, you know, opportunity employer and all these other different things. But then when you get into it and you're isolated, you're brought into a system that really... Uh, actually, uh, in one of the dissents, I forgot to say, the dissent for the cannery is that uh, one of the, the dissenters, uh, I think it was Blackman or Stevens, I can't remember. He said, oh, this is just this is just plantation. This is just a new plantation. You know, it's it's just that everybody who has power and who has to go has control are white people and non-white people are left at the bottom to do the support and to uh, um, do the heavy lifting and and but they're they're not able to bring their minds and and, and being positions that actually give them some type of real power, right? And so again, is 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 the oppression gone or is it just more polite now? So uh, it's talking about disparate impact, uh, and so you might you might see uh, certain things where uh, I, I know for me um, when it was a bunch of people a bunch of white kids getting pushed through and, and, uh, Oh, another thing I want to talk about too, is that the descent, he also talks about highly, a high nepotism and hiring also did that. So that's one thing you'll see too. So it's like, Oh, I'm not a racist. I'm just looking out for my family. Well, all your family white <laughs> again, I don't care what your intent is. It's the same impact. And so when I found it was a bunch of nepotism at my job, 
um, uh, and to get uh, the, the standards were very low to get uh, a bunch of these white kids pushed through. But then uh, suddenly when I became uh, I became uh, in that when I came into that position, all of a sudden after me, there was this college degree preferred. It might even say required, but I think it said preferred. But here's the weird thing. The manager of that position didn't go to college. The management for the position above that position, none of those managers went to college. But suddenly, for the new wave coming in after my black self got in there, <laughs> oh, we want college degrees. Well, college preferred. And also above that, too. Uh, uh, for the next position up, suddenly, oh, college, college preferred, college preferred. But when you, when you look at everybody who's in the position right now, right, none of them have college degrees. And they didn't turn to the super to the supervisor and said, "Hey, y'all got to get college degrees now because this is the so." It's here you're seeing the people that you, that you already see operating at the highest level. It's like the college degree, but but also when you look at Richmond, when you read a book like uh, Two Miles Away or World Apart that talks about uh, the inequities in black schools uh, versus white schools in Richmond, how it's been going on for a generation. Um, when you say college degree preferred, a college degree only. And you only choose to recruit from pretty much two colleges that are mostly white. Uh, I don't really care what your intent is. And it's already proven that people already in those jobs don't have college degree and are doing quite well. Right. Uh, that is a disparate impact where you're going to start seeing white people that, and you're not promoting from the position below. You are literally creating a disparate impact um, where you're doing that, right? And so then another another part of the underground fail road, right? Uh, besides mysterious conditions, right? Uh, creating adverse conditions to get minorities to leave. Uh, I I I saw um, a friend of mine. Uh, she had worked hard to you know because it's always well you have to have these degrees you have to get these whatever so she works hard to get these. And then in the middle of a transition, so she finally makes it to a senior position. And then during a transition, they're acquiring a company where a lot of the people in the senior position are all white. So lo and behold, my black uh, female friend uh, finds out after this transition, she doesn't have her senior position anymore. But lo and behold, who has it? These two white people that came over. Uh, but it was just a uh, transition, right? Again, uh, she was fine at doing her job. We, we were acquiring a company. We acquired them because they failed, <laughs> right? Like, so you're going to let two people of a failing company override a minority of a successful company and call it and say it's a transition and because of business effects. Again, uh, disparate impact, underground railroad. Uh, so then another one of the underground railroad that I like to call is, is convincing minorities to move of their own volition. And replacing them with white people later, right? <laughs> so they're saying, hey, you know, uh, hey, I'm just looking out for you. You know, uh, you know, it's kind of rough around here and I'd hate to see you waste all your talent here. You know, I think you could really excel in a different department because we're not going to be hiring for, you know, we're not going to be promoting, you know, I've got the budget. I don't see where it's happening in the future. I'd hate for you to waste your time. And then you're like, oh, well, golly, uh, thanks. Thanks, Jeff. I'm going to go uh, to this other department who I have now no history in and, and expand my possibilities. And then you leave and then... <laughs> Uh, 
couple months later, lo and behold, a white person's in there and they suddenly got promoted. Oh man, the money came through. Isn't that funny, right? Uh, so that's another way of doing that too, because uh, again, it's it's this guise and this cloak. Uh, if we think about the stork and the fox, right? It's 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 we can't just be out there like Lee Atwater. We just can't be out there firing people and then replacing them. So we, we got to say, well, you know, they left their own volition. You know, I didn't fire them. I didn't move them. Right. And then there's also just not promoting people. Right. Again, the cement ceiling where, oh, it's just not in the books. Man, I, I tell you that the same position that I'm in when white people were in it, people were getting promoted in three months, in six months. I was in it for three years, completely changed, uh, through innovation, the way that the that the uh, job was performed, yet uh, we don't, I we don't, uh, I don't, I don't think you're ready, right? Um, and then not even hiring for the position, but then creating some program where you recruit from mostly white colleges, and now all of these positions are 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 um, are filled, right? So it's again that cement ceiling. Like I'm telling y'all, this is real. Like I see it. <laughs> I, I get calls from people. Uh, Late at night, who are in tears because they're they're tired of the discrimination because uh, of and they can't think of anything besides their race, right? Uh, um, and again, like again, like recruitment, like underground railroad, you're not recruiting, and so obviously you're recruiting places that are mostly white. Guess what? You're gonna get back mostly white candidates, right? But you can just say, well, it's just our pool, guys. It's just so I'm just saying this all to keep you all informed. So when you see weird things, you know what your rights are, uh, because a lot of times they'll try and guilt you and saying, "Well, you don't don't play the race card. Or, hey, it's not that. Look at our intent." And here's a here's a crazy thing about the Duke versus Griggs company too. One of the arguments that they made to, to say why they 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 weren't acting unlawfully is because they were saying, "Well, we actually help black, uh, we actually help black uh, employees get their high school degree," and essentially the justices said. Um, Cool story, bro, but that's not changing the impact that you're having, right? And so uh, I just want you all to be informed of what your rights are. And I want to, you know, really just say, like, <sighs> corporate America isn't free of bias, right? Uh, when we talk about, um, when we talk about uh, John the Baptist's rebuke that we talked about in uh, episode four, uh talking about bearing fruits of repentance. And if we are uh, calling people to fruits of repentance for the sin that was racism, that was segregation, because when you get into nepotism and, and, you know, well, I'm hiring my nephew, I'm hiring my son, and you've done that for three generations. Guess what? Three generations ago, black people couldn't work there, right? (laughs) So that is just copying and pasting the um, demographics that segregation made for your company. Uh, and so if you want to bear fruits of repentance, it's going to have to be like what Chief Justice Berger said, not just illusions and and nice statements. And because I've, I've seen situations where uh, people have created networks for people. But then when it came for, for minority groups, but then when it came to actually get hiring positions, they denied people their their request to recruit someone that looked like them. But we'll keep the networks and we'll keep the, the face. So, again, like it's it's about. It's about being honest. It's about being true. It's about making equity. And as we said, as we say on this show, like basic arithmetic teaches us there can be no difference without subtraction. Know that if you're trying to bring this change, there will be subtractions that you take. There will people be people that look at you weird. There may be people that try to retaliate. But I also want to give you hope in the importance of knowing your rights. 
um, when I found that uh, a manager of mine was sabotaging my efforts, um, I told HR <laughs> and uh, I let them know what my rights were. And um, by God's grace, they got rid of them. So I just want to instill people that there is hope because I got a lot of people who are after the after the um, racial caste system episode, I've got a lot of people hitting me up who were talking about they were approaching that at their job. And so though I've seen it and though it impacts me, I also wanted this to be a labor of love to empower everybody that's listening. And for, again, when we talk about changing your participation in the power structure, white allies, when you see these things, people that work in recruiting, people that are managers, when you see weird things like this happen, sudden requirements that you know have nothing to do with the job, uh, seeing people demoted, seeing people laid off, when you see these things happening, uh, you can be an ally and you can help lend your voice so that it's not just the stereotypical angry black person on the race card. Like, join in people uh, that you see um, are, 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 are being exploited or treated wrongly. Um, and so... That's uh, this episode. Uh, it's probably the first one in a, t- in a long time where I'm actually ending under <laughs> an hour and some change. Uh, but what I would a- advise everyone to do uh, is, if you can, organize a network. Uh, and, 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 and if you are friends with people in HR, uh, know that another part of the, the Civil Rights Act of 1991 is because the burden of proof is on them to prove that it is not discrimination, but a uh, business decision, uh, they have to keep paperwork of this. So if you see something shady, uh, just say, hey, um, I've noticed a trend during transitions. Black people disappear and they're replaced by white people. Uh, would you just take a look into this? You know, I, I, you don't have to let me know because obviously that's confidential information. But, you know, there are ways that you can do this. Um, organize um, networks on your job so that there's a shared experience um, and you can engage and know uh how people have made it. And if you've made it in, 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 in corporate America as African-American, please like share your story, connect with people, uh, and also like share your hurt and say, Hey, it's not, it's not that great about the cement ceiling either. So, you know, we're, we're here to support each other. Um, and so again, this was like an informative episode. And so I hope you guys enjoyed. If you guys have any questions, um, you can email me at a difference in thought at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at a different thought at, uh, oh, just, <laughs> that's just Twitter, <laughs> A-D-I-F-F-I-N-T-H-O-U-G-H-T. And of course, this is your host, Charlie Ray, and you've been tuned into A Difference in Thought, episode number five, hashtag Black Careers Matter, the cement ceiling and the Civil Rights Act of 1991. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, stay tuned. There's more to come. Again, we're going to still be kicking off a Fragility Has Consequences series. I've also heard from you guys who are talking about, uh, man, can it be a guest? Uh, (laughs) I guess you're tired of me talking so long. (laughs) But it's all right. I still love y'all, kind of. So I'm working on getting a guest in, uh, and we are kind of going to be talking about habits of nonconformity. And so how you can build things into your life. Because uh, as Eddie Glau Jr. says, habits are sustained. Societal structures are sustained by habits, and so we're trying to find ways, practical ways for you to uh, not conform and actually habits of subtraction that can lead to difference. But that's enough for today. Hopefully, this has been helpful for you guys. For those who are in the struggle of it, I know it can feel lonely, it can feel defeating being under the cement ceiling, 
but know that number one, <laughs> uh, you have worth far beyond what corporate America can see. You're made in the image of God. You're brilliant. You are beautiful. You are real life vibranium. <laughs> Don't give up. Uh, and as Nina Simone sometimes, you know, would say, uh, sometimes you got to learn to leave the table when love's not served there. Mm, hello. Uh, but for those, uh, I hope this helps you organize, stay in the cause. If you're discouraged, shoot me an email, um, navigate in situations like this. I'm not a lawyer though. So, Hey, don't, don't, <laughs> Uh, God bless y'all. This has been episode number five, Black Careers Matter, the Cement Ceiling and the Civil Rights Act of 1991. This is your host, Charlie Ray. And as always, I love you. I love you. That's why I'm here. Peace.